Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, June 17th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, Grassley and Ernst on the gun bill, primary absentee voting, Deja DeGere begins her general election campaign, and a big abortion ruling. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Good morning, Aaron. The phrase of the day is uh, holy cannoli. (laughs) Holy cannoli. I loved that one. Fantastic. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And making his triumphant return today to the podcast, please welcome back Tom Barton, formerly of the Quad City Times, of which you remember him from before, and now the Gazette's Deputy Des Moines Bureau Chief. Welcome back to the podcast roster, Tom. Thank you. All right. First up this week, Iowa's Republican U.S. Senators Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst weighed in on proposed framework to legislation designed to address mass shootings in public places, including school buildings. A bipartisan group of senators announced the framework on the deal last Sunday, and this week Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell indicated he will vote for the bill. That is, of course, assuming said bill makes it to the Senate floor for a vote. No guarantee on that at this early point. The proposal takes modest steps on gun control, making more juvenile records available when someone under 21 buys a rifle, closing the so-called boyfriend loophole by barring individuals convicted of domestic abuse from owning a gun. It also provides federal funding designed to entice states to enact so-called red flag laws, which allow loved ones or law enforcement to ask a court to prohibit an individual who they deem to be a danger to themselves or others from possessing guns. Senator Ernst, through her spokesman, only said that she will wait to see the bill before offering any thoughts on the proposal. Very limited response. Senator Grassley this week said his two benchmarks for being able to support the bill are that he said it should not violate anyone's constitutional rights to own a gun or to due process. Todd, let me ask you to gaze into your crystal ball, shake that magic eight ball, ask the Ouija board, whatever you have to do. Tell us whether. Either of U.S. Iowa's U.S. senators will cast a yes vote on this bill. My my hand on the Ouija board is being pushed around, and it says, <laughs> "Oh, oh, hell no! They they won't." <laughs> I, I didn't know that was a spot on the Ouija board. That I don't remember that. Well, one. it's it's on my Ouija board. It is uh, okay. Okay. You know, it's it, it's kind of an adult Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I I would be surprised if they voted for it. I mean, they're talking about. You know, they want to see the details, which, you know, of course, creates a situation where once the details come out, they can say, oh, these details, there are all sorts of devils in them. And I I, I don't want to, we we can't support this. You know, the the due process argument is one that's been deployed. It was deployed by Joni Ernst during the debate over the Violence Against Women's Act when they tried to close the boyfriend loophole, you know, and deny the right to buy a gun to people who have been convicted of uh, you know, domestic abuse and dating situations. Uh, she, you know, that was the that was the argument that Ernst made why she didn't support that. Was it? It didn't give proper due process. You know, and it's and it's easy to look at some of this stuff and say, well, this is infringing on a constitutional right if that's if that's the way you want to interpret it. So I would be surprised if they voted for it. I mean, the other part of this is that Grassley's up for re-election. He just had a primary where a candidate running from his right got 26% of the vote. And he probably doesn't want to alienate, you know, the gun rights groups and others that support gun rights that are part of the Republican base in Iowa. So, uh, yeah, I don't, 
I would be surprised if, if either of them ended up voting for the package. And in fact, it's one of those things where if enough Republicans aren't going to vote for it, I, I don't even know that it will come up for a vote because they might not want to have senators who are maybe in more vulnerable positions to have to take a bad vote against gun safety. Yeah, you stole my follow-up question there was if you think it'll even make it to the floor for a vote. I think that obviously remains a very open question as of right now. Um, legislation like this is uh, um, can, you know, a deal, quote-unquote, can sound good in theory, especially before there's an actual legislative text. And and like you said, once there is an actual bill, then uh, that, that, that creates openings for um, anyone who might be on the fence or not wanting to support a bill to find something, you know, in their uh, line nine on paragraph five on page 33 uh, that I have a problem with this. And, and that's why I can't support the bill that, that, that there's just a it, it, it seems to me an uphill climb to, to, to get this thing to the finish line. Maybe, maybe we'll be surprised and, and, and they'll get it. I mean, you, like I said, you do have Mitch McConnell saying he's going to vote for it that that at least in theory provides some cover to his members but uh i don't know I, i'm i'm with you todd it it seems like an uphill climb yeah i think so we got a lot to get to this week so so let's let's keep cycling uh through next up we want to take a, a another quick look back at iowa's june 7th primary election but today we're not talking about the results Instead, we're looking at the number of absentee ballots that were filed in the primary election but missed the deadline and, and thus were not counted in the results. Uh, as a quick refresher, some background here, Iowa State House Republicans last year passed legislation that continued to shrink Iowa's early voting window. In addition to reducing the number of days that Iowans can cast an early vote, Republicans also placed a hard election day deadline on when returned absentee ballots can be accepted and counted. It used to be as long as you were postmarked or had the stamp that it was sent in before election day, it was, I think, up to six or seven days after the election that they could be counted. That was eliminated as well. So that early voting window continued to shrink. Um, Jared and Sarah, you've both been talking to your local election officials about this uh, this past week. J Jared, let's start with you. Uh, do we know how many absentee ballots in Siouxland missed that deadline and, and thus were not counted? So at least uh, through this morning, not every single county that we uh, focus on has gotten back to me. But of the ones that have, we're currently sitting at uh, 146 uh, denials across uh, 10 counties. And that includes uh, Woodbury, which had uh, about 48 ballot requests that came in uh, too late, which doesn't sound like a lot. But it's worth you know noting, of course, that um, voter turnout in the county for the primary was only like 13.9%. So anything that all of a sudden creates any issue with casting a vote becomes more of an issue when your you know, ceiling is as low as it is. Um, and the thing that I kind of found the most interesting, and I'm wondering if Sarah's heard this too, is that more than one auditor I've talked with has said that things were generally okay under the new rules for the primary, but for the general election, they're worried. Um, Woodbury County Auditor Pat Gill uh, told me over email that um, one of the things he's most concerned about with November is that he knows a lot of people are going to be expecting to get a request form and they're not going to get it. And that's going to end up being a real big test for a lot of counties and a lot of auditors offices. 
Sarah, over in the Quad Cities, interested to hear if uh, you're hearing the same thing as Jared. And, and then also, you mentioned that you have a kind of an interesting story about a batch of ballots that didn't get counted. What happened there? Yeah, so in general, I think, yeah, the the um, auditors that I talked to, I just talked to Scott in Clinton County, but um, they said that there weren't a lot of, you know, issues with the um primary voting just it's a primary election but they're expecting maybe more people to um for like ahead of the general election people are going to be you know it's going to be democrats versus republicans so there's going to be a lot more um maybe concern about whether or not my vote counts whereas in a primary it's really intraparty and unless there's an extreme example there wasn't there didn't seem to be a lot of a lot of concern but um but then that leads me to you know the this um unusual example so in Clinton County um and like Jared said turnout in uh primary elections are generally pretty low so if there is a batch of ballots that isn't counted for some reason, it can make a difference in a race. And so in Clinton County, there was a county supervisor's race, a Republican primary that was decided by just seven votes. There were three candidates. The top vote getter got like a hundred or more than the next one. And then the um, two candidates were separated by just seven votes. Um, And then, so then two days after the primary election, Uh, The Clinton County Auditor said 50 ballots arrived at the auditor's office by mail and 35 of those were postmarked May 27th. So you'd think, you know, that that would have been plenty of time to get to the auditor's office. But it turns out that um, apparently there was uh, there may have been some kind of uh, unintentional error at the post office that um, delayed a bag of mail getting through a mail processing facility, which um, may have caused the delay. And so. So there were in total, there were 23 Republican ballots that were postmarked ahead of June 7th, but came in in the days afterward and had to be tossed out. So um, the the loser in that race, um, Steve Cundiff, who's a sheriff deputy, was kind of a little um, a little sore about that loss and, you know, thinks that, well, you know, had these, you know, we never know who who these people might have voted for, but uh, certainly twenty three ballots in a seven vote difference could could have made a difference for him. And he's a little, uh, he 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 told me he's like, well, I wonder if the uh, post office, you know, decided this election or if the voters did. Um, not meaning that they did it intentionally, but just right. that, oh, did this error, you know, decide the election or did did the voters? So yeah, that's such an and 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 look. Um, it's fair to note here that when this most recent law change was being debated again in, in 2021, there were county auditors, local election fil- officials of both political parties who warned state lawmakers, the Republican state lawmakers who were pushing this about these exact kind of scenarios. They, they said that this is a really tight window you're creating. And if there's any snafu, any mix up at all, um, then ballots are going to end up not being counted because there's just not enough time for error. Um, and and I think uh, Sarah's story is a perfect illustration of that. Uh, like she said, those uh, those ballots were postmarked in plenty of time, um, at least what is, I think, fairly reasonable to expect. And, and because of that, they didn't get counted. And look, we're, uh, we're talking about small numbers here in the grand 
scheme of things, uh, 23 ballots in Sarah's case, a hundred some that Jared mentioned over in his area. But um, I don't think it's um, unfair for even me as a reporter to offer the opinion that one is too high a number when you're talking about people's votes um, not being counted. Um, it, 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 it's, uh, it's really unfortunate and, and, um, you know, we want people to participate in, in this process and, and these folks did. And, uh, because of issues that were not of their own making, their votes were not counted. And, and that's, that, that should be concerning to, to anyone. So appreciate those uh, stories, Jared and Sarah. Thank you. Um, moving on. Um, speaking of, uh, votes and voting early and other races coming up, we're going to see a lot of, uh, interest in that in this fall's general election, including in the race for governor, which is starting to pick up a little bit of post primary steam democratic challenger, Deidre Dejir toured the state this past week to talk about education issues. Uh, Tom, you covered uh, uh, one of those Dejir events in the Cedar Rapids area there. Uh, what did she have to say and uh, what kind of crowd did she draw? Is she, is she getting people out to hear her pitches uh, at this super early stage of the general election? Yeah, so uh, the Des Moines business owner and activist stopped at Raygun in Cedar Rapids where she spoke to a small gathering of about uh, 25 supporters and Lynn County Democrats as part of a statewide campaign swing ahead of Iowa Democrats state convention Saturday in Des Moines um, and delivered her report card on Reynolds' performance during her first year. Um, She gave Reynolds failing grades, of course, um, on a range of issues from the environment to education, healthcare, government transparency, housing, women's issues, jobs in the economy, um, you name it. so Jajir um, talked about she sees hope and common ground uh, among uh, Iowa voters, including rural voters, uh, which she thinks could potentially pave success for Democrats in November. She argued that Reynolds has prioritized extreme policies over Iowans from pushing to provide taxpayer funding to pay for students to attend private schools to a flat tax and abortion restrictions. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Desir argued that real issues like rural revitalization and access to quality, affordable health care um, and mental health care have been shortchanged. She said rural communities and rural Democrats are too often overlooked and that Iowa needs to do more to invest in those communities and touted her um Real Agenda, R-E-A-L, that's an acronym, what it stands for off the top of my head, I can't tell you, but um, it prioritizes rural revitalization, um, stating that she's committed to a thriving rural Iowa. Um, It also prioritizes public education, mental health care, and access to to quality, affordable health care. She... um, Ask your supporters, you know, are our Democrats, are we willing to fight um, for that for that common ground, um, you know, focusing on um, these more um, kitchen table issues of um, education, um, living wage jobs, protecting workers, again, access to quality, affordable health care, um, access to, to mental health care. Um, 
you know, she she criticized Reynolds' push to use um, uh, $55 million in state public school funding to provide 10,000 students with scholarships to pay private school expenses, stating that, um, quote, 100% of our students need the undivided attention of our governor in order to improve their opportunity within uh, the education uh, system, end quote. And then she also criticized the governor for stating that um, she believes the effect of climate change um, was overstated despite the increasing frequency of severe storms and flooding across the state, including the August 2020 derecho that um, uh, hit Cedar Rapids, uh, quote, hard and heavy. Um, yeah, so she she's she's making the case that um, that she feels that Democrats have an opportunity to um make some some inroads inroads excuse me um in in rural iowa and potentially um you know win back some disaffected democratic voters and and some independent voters um in 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 some of these communities by you know pointing out that um republicans um or trying to make the argument that Republicans in the state are more focused on trying to to to, raise, to wage, excuse me, uh, a culture war, and that in the process, um, these 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 issues that are of uh, importance to, to to all Iowans, not just Democrats, um, you know, issues of you know um, water quality and protecting Iowa's. Uh, environment, um, you know, trying to make a measurable dent in, um, you know, curtailing the number of um, Iowa waterways that, that are impaired, you know, putting uh, meaningful funding behind water quality efforts, you know, finally funding um, that natural resource trust fund that voters approved back in, in 2010 that um, has never been funded. All right. Um, and I, I, I had to add, uh, Tom, I, I saw a photo from the event and um, you mentioned the grades that Deidre DeGere had given um, uh, Governor Reynolds. And I, I, I noticed the little attempt at, at humor and maybe snark in there because they gave uh, the Governor Reynolds 1A grade. And I, I thought, well, this has got to be interesting. And I zoomed in on it. And it was something to the effect of uh, dedication to donors or special interests, something along those lines. Did, did, do I have that close to the mark? <laughs> right. Yep. You're exactly right. <laughs> so yeah, we're off and running. So it's a, it's All a right. fair assessment then. There's an A mixed in there, you know, so totally, totally fair. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> All right. Um, so lastly, this week, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Iowa, the Iowa Supreme Court's ruling on abortion um, issued Friday morning. And uh, so full disclosure here and, and by way of background, we typically record the podcast on Friday mornings. I'm speaking to you at, at 9.35 a.m. on Friday and, and just uh, right around uh, 9 o'clock um, the 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 ruling came down and um it, it's way more complicated than this uh but based on um what i've read and consumed so far it it, it, it does in essence overturn the 2018 supreme court ruling so so that one had a shelf life of four years which is kind of 
wild to say for for a Supreme Court ruling, even at the state level. Um, but any, anyways, it essentially overturns that previous ruling that had had said that abortion is a a right protected by the state constitution. So so that's no longer the case, and and uh, we still have a, a U.S. Supreme Court ruling as well that'll be coming down this summer that that will also kind of set the landscape uh for for what the future looks like on on abortion access uh across the country and in Iowa and in what state legislators here will be able to do um again um we'll get into this deeper in future podcasts when we've had a time to kind of digest this news and and talk to people um uh, uh you know the experts and and advocates and and uh stakeholders in the field on this but 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 we want to at least touch base on this. So Todd, let me just start with you and, and give me your initial thought on what this ruling means. Um, expand on it a little bit if, if I, uh, cause I obviously gave a very, very super brief synopsis um, and, and, and what it means going forward in Iowa. Well, it's uh, you're right. They reversed the 2018 precedent that said that the constitution guarantees a fundamental right for women to seek an abortion. In doing that, they sort of say that they they don't establish a different standard. They basically, Justice Mansfield, who wrote the majority opinion, says that they'll basically go back to the U.S. Supreme Court standard in Casey, which is uh, a law restricting abortion presents an undue burden. But that undue burden standard is probably going to collapse any day now when, when the U.S. Supreme Court is expected to rule uh, striking down Roe v. Wade. Uh, and then you know, once that happens with this ruling in place and the Supreme Court ruling in place, I mean, I think that would pretty much open the door to any sort of abortion restrictions that the Iowa legislature and the and the governor decide to, to pursue. It's it's complicated. I mean, I, people ask me what the vote was. Well, there were a number of concur in part, dissent in part opinions, but what it boils down to is uh, two Supreme Court justices, Chief Justice Christensen and, and outgoing Justice uh, Brent Apple, both dissented in a way that both felt that the that the 24-hour waiting period at issue in this case is unconstitutional. But the majority didn't see it that way. And the ruling does mention that they don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do, although we've seen a leaked draft, so we sort of know what might happen. But basically, striking down the fundamental right, and now they're going to sit back and wait to see what the Supreme Court does. And and I think, you know, it's, there's a good chance that we're going to see pretty strict abortion limits in Iowa going forward if the governor wins re-election and, as, as expected, the Republican legislature returns. So, Todd, you uh, you mentioned uh, the governor. Um, the governor's office did just uh, release um, a statement about um, the Iowa Supreme Court ruling, um, calling it a, quote, significant victory in our fight to protect the unborn. And that, um, you know, goes on to, to state that, you know, every life is sacred and should be protected. And as long as she's governor, that's exactly what I'll do. And when the um, when the draft leaked uh, last month, I remember talking to a couple of legislature or legislators uh, and, you know, one of them, uh, Jackie Smith, which this feels applicable. And I'm, I'm assuming she would say something similar with the state court ruling is that these kinds of rulings don't necessarily just like make abortions disappear altogether. It just makes them less easy to access and maybe more dangerous, which is a common line that you hear over and over again when these sorts of rulings come down. So, 
Yeah, and we're, you know, neighboring states, Illinois, Minnesota, will continue to have legal abortion. And so for the people that have that option, that's where they'll go. But yeah, abortions will continue. And as you say, they'll be less safe. And But it's, you know, it's going to have a, a, a huge impact if the legislature decides to decides to move forward with a, with a ban or something that is basically like a ban. All right. Um, as I said, uh, uh, obviously something that we'll have much more to uh, report back on and on future podcasts, but we want to at least get some uh, kind of quick reaction to that breaking news this morning. So appreciate that uh, uh, from everybody here on the podcast. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, obviously, stay tuned in the future. Um, if you enjoyed this morning's podcast, uh, tell your friends, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast, and you can send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll get all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to the On Iowa Politics newsletter at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Mick Fisto will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks everyone for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.